0: This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppSlyer's analytics suite simplifies this complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppSlyer's customer experience and engagement suite, powered by a reliable deep linking engine, lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppSlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to AppSlyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve.
1: Really, at Jam City, we want to treat the players first and foremost. We really care about their experiences. That comes down to ad quality and what type of ads they're seeing. We want to make sure that the performance is there. Waterfall management does take a lot of time. The big drawback is the back and forth with networks, obviously the uh, analysis behind it. And not always is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak.
0: That was Kyle. Kyle. Kyle is the Senior Director of Ad Monetization from Jam City, and he uses Source's platform to automate his monetization and grow game revenue.
1: That is time that is really maximized and could theoretically be a 50 to 100% to 2x increase in overall ad revenue. Theoretically, level play just automates a lot of that. That is a huge time sink for a lot of our teams.
0: Want to grow like Jam City? Get the SDK on ironslc.com. That's ironslc.com.
2: hello and welcome to twig number 167 we've got a little bit of, uh, of a shake-up in the cast today uh, so Adam Telfer is at home with his newborn baby um, number two for him so good luck uh, I haven't uh, I haven't progressed to that to that level of parenthood yet just still the one and it <laughs> seems impossible so I don't, I don't know how he's I've, he's dealing I've... with it
1: I've got a uh, three, and uh, my my advice for Adam would be: don't worry. You'll block out. You'll completely black out anything that happens this month. So, <laughs> yeah. any any crying you might do at two in the morning, you'll forget ever happened.
2: So there you go, Adam. <laughs> Nothing to fear. Uh, so we've got uh, we've got just a, a, a reduced cast this week. Mr. Ethan Levy is uh, taking the place of Adam Telfer and uh Miska is out uh he's at another cia black site uh, wow. is what i've been told uh he's either terrorizing someone or being terrorized i, I can't I, <laughs> I can't remember uh uh but but in any case uh, he's not with us this week so it's uh it's it's me myself eric Sufert, eric kress and ethan levy how are you both doing today
1: doing great i'm excited to be on the the main show finally i'm like uh, the understudy so i'm I'm excited to uh to be here and i've I've prepared some articles hoping to trigger Cress live. It'll be great. Right, well,
3: we'll see about that. I've been talking <laughs> nonstop about fucking Activision at Microsoft for the last week. you know what's um, funny was
2: was I saw the articles that you proposed talking about, and I was like. Cress is gonna lose his fucking mind. <laughs> oh no! And, I didn't even. But ha- it but but the lucky, the happy accident here was that Cress had a separate, he had a different copy of the the doc, and so Eric has no idea what you're gonna talk about, uh, as of this moment. So I'm really excited to see his his reaction. Awesome. <laughs> um, cool. Let's we'll jump into it. Uh, we'll start with some updates. So ESL Gaming sold for one billion dollars to Savvy Gaming Group. Um, I thought that was an interesting development for a couple reasons. One is, uh, you know, ESL gaming, um, was, uh, you know, a subsidiary or was owned by uh, modern times group, uh, which I thought was interesting cause they're usually a buyer, not a seller. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And the, the second, uh, reason I thought was interesting was that, and I didn't, I didn't have any idea uh, about this, but that now, um, the Sav- so the savvy gaming group is kind of a Saudi, uh, initiative, um, to invest in in gaming assets and um into portfolio and the savvy gaming group itself is is kind of uh it's a holding company and there's multiple companies within that uh holding company um and this is this there's there's three companies within the savvy gaming group and i can't remember the names of them in the article that i i'm looking at right now on um on games didn't didn't have more detail but do they uh,
1: do they own the company that bought snk or is that separate
2: uh, that's a good question. I don't know. But, uh, another reason why I, why I thought this was interesting anyway, is one of the subsidiary companies is now run by my friend, Kadri, uh, uh, uh Ugand, um, uh, who's an Estonian woman, a uh, friend of mine who ran previously, a uh, accelerator called Game Founders. Um, anyway, so I just thought that was an interesting, uh, development and I, uh, say congratulations to Kadri and, and her last name is no longer Ugand, uh, but I'm forgetting what
3: the new last name is. Wait, 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 okay, I mean, I'm. I don't know. I don't know if I can let this one go. I mean, why are the Saudis buying um, ESL? Like, isn't isn't like, isn't it dead? You know, like, <laughs> what have they been doing for the last two years during the pandemic? Right? Why are they buying it now? Wait. So, what's the question? Why now or why ESL? There's a reason that these guys are selling, right? Because they don't think it's a valuable asset, and then the Saudis are buying, and it seems like really, really late in the game to be buying assets in in, in fricking esports, you know? Like, the selfish... I mean, I, I actually grew up in Saudi Arabia. I don't know if anybody... You guys know that. But you, anyway... You've mentioned that before. I, are you a
1: diplomat's child?
3: No, no. My dad worked for Bechtel. They were, like, building a city. But but the point is is that these guys are just... the, the epitome of dumb money, right? So... <laughs> But I know they they do want to get like, you know, uh, no, really, <laughs> sorry. I was mean, sorry. They are they got a lot of money, dude. I mean, tons of money, right? And the, and the sovereign wealth fund is like is like flush. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know if buying a, a esports business is a really smart move here. But all right, moving on. Sorry, I'm not going to throw shade. I suppose on everything, but maybe I will. I don't yeah. know. I really nice I. Yeah, this is
2: gonna be a, a firecracker of an episode right here. I, I don't know. I, I I thought it was interesting for for those reasons. Uh, you know, I I have no uh, I have, I have no opinion on, uh, on on the intelligence level of the money uh for, from any sovereign wealth fund. I, I they have more money than me, so that's uh. They
3: have more money than God.
2: Yeah, that's true. Um, right, moving on. Moving on. So this is from GameDeveloper.com. Tilting Point rolls out launcher to bring mobile titles to web, PC, and Mac. Uh. uh from the article, according to Tilting Point, the move will help its development partners reach new markets by tapping into cross-platform play and additional distribution methods. There are currently two titles available through the launcher, Warhammer Chaos and Conquest and Operation New Earth, both of which are developed by Hunted Cow. Uh, I thought this is interesting. I, I don't think I've heard this happen in that direction, so bringing mobile games to desktop and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and web. Um, I want to
1: say they've done that with the Star Trek game tilting point did. yeah i think like, so
3: that's their only success. that's a really big successful game right
2: yeah yeah that was um
1: it's either them or scopely somebody brought their star trek game to the pc i right? think it was scopely that was okay. Scopely. yeah yeah fucking it up on my first episode Already. yeah i don't
2: <laughs> i i'm i'm kind of like i don't i don't know really how how excited i am by the the the, the prospect of bringing mobile games to desktop that's i mean i feel like if stadia is exciting because you're kind of doing the opposite right you're taking you know high high fidelity pc games and console games to the mobile which is exciting right because it's you're able to stream it i don't know if the if the if 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 i'm excited by moving content in the opposite direction what what do you guys think
3: no i mean there's two two reasons you do this one is you're catering to your core you know super you know spenders the whales that are driving what 60 of your game and, and playing at work. Them to to <laughs> what?
2: And playing at work let, letting them play at work without having Yeah, to... let them
3: play where they want. It's just a convenience yeah. feature for them. You know, the social segment guys like Playtique have been doing it for a while. And yeah. that makes sense because like the lion's share of the revenue is being driven by these small lunatics that are spending thousands and thousands of dollars <laughs> on right. fucking social casino so, right so let
1: them play on an app instead of on yeah, through let Blue them Stacks. play where
3: the fuck they want with right. these lunatics like you want them to spend right it doesn't matter where you know yeah. and yeah. then the second thing is that it is it can be a cheaper way of, of of attracting users right i mean isn't it easier to drive people to a website than it is to pay these exorbitant fees and this bullshit that apple's doing right no well
2: no it's it's still easier to get people on mobile i mean that's 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 and that's what you hear from every cross-platform developer it's like mobile is the acquisition platform because it's so much more straightforward getting someone onto the web i mean even if they can just jump right in and play uh it's there's just not that that use case ingrained in consumers minds yet like still right like i mean that was just and that was the difficulty even with with facebook canvas um
3: and then the other thing is some of these games like the grinding games i think the raid game is a good example right yeah it makes sense to to grind that sh- on the core side, to grind out, um, grind out on on the computer because it's draining the shit out of your battery, and you want right. you want to use your phone yeah. for other things, you
1: know. Yeah. Uh, a third possibility, they they could be kind of laying the groundwork for cross-platform crypto games, um, just having the tech infrastructure there to distribute their games and know-how on on all three platforms at once. Uh, that's kind of the direction I think things are going.
2: Maybe, but the, there's still the platform restriction, right? I mean, you've you've got to assume that at some point Apple allows you know play-to-earn games on the uh, app the uh, App Store, which I don't think they're they're going to. Well, they they are. Finally, Ren- I mean, Theetan
1: Arena the was- is on on the App Store right now. I was playing it last night. They're they're just clever about how they separate out the crypto and non-crypto elements. Well, well-
2: yeah, no, I know, but I mean, there's a couple of games like that where you, the the gameplay is available on the App Store, and then the whole crypto sort of component is is, is is you know is only accessible via the web. But I I don't see them ever doing like a full like you're never gonna be able to. I my sense is you're never gonna be able to upload like a full blown, like fully contained you know play to earn game with a with a crypto based economy onto the App Store. I just never I don't see that ever happening.
3: <laughs> Ethan disagrees.
1: No, but, I'm, I don't think you'll need to. I, I think you'll be able to achieve business success by having a cross-platform game where mobile's just one component of it. And so that was my, that was my conjecture here is maybe Tilting Point is preparing for that cross-platform a future crypto well, or I mean, non-crypto related. There's a lot of... Just you know, the
3: easiest thing, though, is they can transact off-platform, yeah. right? So they don't have to pay the 30%. They pay their own transaction fees. They just build it. Why not?
2: Well, yeah, but then you're still, you're still having a a mobile only skew, right? And so if you're, you you know, which is specific to just mobile because of those app store restrictions, and then they have to stream that on desktop. Like it's, it's, what's the the point then of streaming the mobile version on desktop, right? Then you just have different versions, which then, then increases the complexity of managing the project. But okay, let's uh, let's let's move on here. I think we could get stuck there for a while. Uh, third third news article is Apple fined 5.6 million for not complying with Dutch dating app order. So this I found really interesting, right? And we talked about this I believe last week. And we've been talking about this for a long time, but but the, the, the news last week um, and I wrote a, an article about it on Mobile Dev Memo was that, you know, the Dutch Competition t- Competition Authority had ruled that Apple must allow dating apps published to the Netherlands App Store to offer uh, alternative payments. And Apple said, "Okay, we'll comply. Uh, here are the terms. You've got to upload and See for it.
3: Weird. His connection is usually pretty solid. It's always freaking Mishka that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you just you, you cut out.
2: Yeah, I know shit. I might my internet is so bad. So the third article is uh, Apple fined 5.6 million for not complying with Dutch dating app order. Uh, this is from mobilemarketingreads.com, but it was reported in a number of places. And, and if you remember from last week, we discussed uh, the the ruling by the, the Dutch uh, uh, competition authority. And I also wrote an article about it on mobile dev memo. But basically this Dutch uh, competition authority had had ruled that Apple must allow dating apps to offer alternative payment options in the Dutch app store. and Apple uh, in response said, "Okay, we'll allow we'll allow that, but here are the terms of our compliance. The terms are that anyone who wants to utilize uh, alternative payments must enable one of these two entitlements um, that they created, which allows for in-app alternative payments or off-app alternative payments. And you know, you you must entitlements so that we know when you're facilitating these transactions. We're still going to take a platform cut, but we haven't determined what that cut will be. Oh, and by the way, you've got a new SKU." Uh, to the Netherlands App Store, so you've got to you've got to create a, a Netherlands only SKU of your app, upload it to the Netherlands App Store, and that's and that's where you'll be able to collect these alternative uh, payments. So the Dutch Competition Authority said, no, that is not actually complying with our order, and we're going to fine you every week until you do compl- comply comply. $6 million dollars it's not a lot of money to apple and that's true but but that's going to be uh, a regular fine that they incur until they comply and again you know the, the netherlands is one country right and, and we're, we're seeing a sort of cascade of rulings by competition authorities saying hey apple um what you're doing with the app store uh uh fees um is uh is is uh uh is not permitted and 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 we're going to force you to, to so I just, I just thought you know this is just a really interesting development in the stories. Apple just you know the Dutch the Dutch Competition Authority saying, no, what you're doing is actually not. Uh, you're, you're basically sort of like de facto forcing people to use the iTunes um, payment system through the complexity of of, of this uh, 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 new sort of like um, framework, and we're going to fine you until you actually comply with with uh, with what we've told you you have to do. So it'll be interesting to see if other um, which other Countries follow suit here because there's a couple things. One is that you know obviously these regulators are determining that this is not that the way that Apple treats payments is not friendly to consumers, um, and so they're going to want to follow suit just on that basis. But the second is like this is just uh, free money, right? I mean, and and what I really love to see in countries all sort of like uh, holding their hands out whenever uh, one country determines that these big tech companies are doing something wrong. Well, then they all sort of rule that, hey, well, well like, like locally, uh, but, you know, we, we also think that you've uh, violated some uh, law of Dating's just going to get
1: harder all across the Scandinavian countries. <laughs> yeah, right.
2: Or, you know, Italy is going to have its hand out. France is going to have its hand out. I mean, like every country is going to fall This is just free money, Right. Um, and and you often see the, the you know this sort of like wave of 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 uh, of lawsuits and and fines being issued across the EU uh, when when these countries realize hey there's an opportunity to make some money here so I think uh, my sense is like so this this might quicken the pace.
3: No, I, I would that, even that's more cynical than me. I don't I don't no. I think that when these these regulations and these like fighting the tech companies is going to really start in EU because they're the ones that have the um, ability to actually execute against it and also the, the, um, the will to do it, right? So, the will in the West and in, in the United States is very low in general to like go after big tech companies because they're all Western companies or, or US companies. But Europe is, is, doesn't have that kind of problem. And so, they go after these guys, they went after Microsoft. They're going, to, they're going after Google. They go after, they're going to go after Facebook. So any type of regulation that goes against these big tech companies is likely going to start in Europe and then get moved over to, to U.S. That's the way I look at this. They just have well, the ability to get it done.
2: No, but, but yeah, that's, but that, we're talking about two different things, right? So there's the EC level, at like the, the European Union level, European Commission level, and then there's the, the individual country level, right? And when you see these fines generally imposed, like these kind of small ball fines, it's, it's, it's a- the country level. It's like, oh, you, you owe us 8 million euros or you owe us 10 million euros for, for XYZ reason, right? Tax evasion oh, sure. or you violated some, some local law. And then, yeah, the, the real sort of like game changing, uh, you know, uh, uh, legal restrictions happen at the European Commission level. And that's where like Spotify appealed like against uh, right. Spotify kind of issued the, uh, the, the, the lawsuit or whatever against Apple related to them competing with them with Apple Music and sort of preferencing their own products. Um, and that happens at the EC level, right? Not the individual country level.
3: Although because right. you then, see like, the... yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say like, South Korea goes against Apple, right? You know, sets precedent for, you know, opening up the App Store type thing, right? And, like, again, I think they just have the ability to get this stuff done to set set the things in motion, uh, for real, like, broader regu- um, regulation.
2: Yeah and well the, the in, in generally in Europe they're they're more uh, aggressive about like privacy and and anti too eh? yeah consumer protection right right all right yeah. so. i mean it, the the sort of just one point just quickly the, the kind of the the reticence to 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 make any sort of like and and this is changing a little bit but like the reticence to sort of um, you know regulate against you know this kind of behavior in the US stems back to just the history of you know uh, of of competition regulation and and sort of like the definition of monopoly, right? and And like the whole idea is just this there's this consumer welfare standard that's been used uh, historically. and um, you know it's kind of like the Chicago School of Back- economics, right? Like so a, a monopoly is is something by you know monopolies by definition are not illegal what's 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 illegal is when there's sort of monopolistic power that hurts consumers right that that increases prices for consumers and that results in harm to consumers and that's the standard by which you know monopolies have been regulated historically and that that goes back to like Robert Bork um, in the Chicago School of Economics, but but that's kind of changing now. I mean, you you see these kind of like a new school of thought. It's called like the new Brandeis movement, where people are saying, no, that shouldn't be the standard because look at what the standard produced. It, it produced these monster tech companies. Well, they all offer their products for free, right? So so there's a different economic paradigm here that's driving innovation and consolidation, and and we need to we need to sort of monitor and regulate that.
3: Right. I'm sorry, and, and I'm no legal legal scholar, and neither are you. But but the the fundamental problem with this type of legislation or this type of action in the United States is we're based on precedent and there's no precedent for this stuff, right? Versus in Europe, you could, they could just basically decree something that without precedent, right? Isn't that like, and that's why they can get things done a lot faster in, in Europe than they can in, in, in North America to respond to the kind of new things that are happening in the tech industry. And so that's why you see a lot more leadership in, in these type of regulations and then US kind of follows. So, yeah, I mean that the, but also the
2: US is generally more pro business, right? I mean and 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 you know, especially at like so so the, the, but again this new school is trying to like break that precedent. I mean like Lena Khan right now who's the, the chairman of um you know, uh the FTC that she's she said, look, there should be a new precedent. There should that we should abandon this consumer welfare standard because it doesn't work anymore. But, you know, the the degree to which she's successful remains to be seen. I think there's a lot of pushback to her sort of mode exactly. of thinking.
3: Yeah. So that's my other Wait, just okay, and I, yeah,
2: I th- I threw this one in for you, Chris. Uh, so the last headline is <laughs> Stillfront acquires Six Waves for 201 million, buys out Nexon's 34.8 stake for 93 million, and I'm just gonna let you. Uh, <laughs> I didn't
3: I just want to say, you know, Nexon makes an investment on Six Waves a few years ago, and now their trash is Stillfront's treasure, I suppose, because now Stillfront's right. buying it for 200 million. So I don't know, dude. What is I don't know what Stillfront's doing. Just keep buying and see what happens, right? I you have
1: know. to assume right that their hypothesis here is that they can take their existing games and find additional Asian markets wherever it is six waves is being successful, right? And maybe Nexon doesn't need that because they already have that access and those local uh connections. Or is it just who knows what, what Stillfront is doing and why?
3: I, 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 I think Stillfront, as as well as uh, Embracer, just scrambling to see right. what they can do. I mean, Got Stillfront it. stock is just absolutely in the toilet. I mean, way before this, this recent correction in the market. So it's like, yeah, we'll see. Cool. I'm not... I'm not <laughs> yeah. Right, moving, moving on, on. Ethan. Ethan. All right.
1: Uh, I have uh, three quick news updates. So one... Uh, from Bloomberg crypto crash races more than 1 trillion in market value and the money quote here is bitcoin's decline since that november high has wiped out more than 600 billion in market value and over 1 trillion has been lost from the aggregate crypto market and so just my i just want to share my perspective as a crypto game developer here right like there's a speculation market for tokens and then there is people building different dApps and and different tokens and NFTs and just for me personally this does not this market volatility doesn't deter me at all from thinking that crypto games are the future right like I basically uh, I my hypothesis is kind of that NFTs and tokens make games better for free to play style games better for players And so if a player has two equivalent games which is not where we are now but where we'll get to in the future let's call one game of war and one crypto of war and they're the exact same games with the exact same level of friction and the ease of transacting and all the uh crypto stuff has been uh, figured out Uh, if you have one game where the player doesn't own their assets and one where the player does the game where the player owns their assets and can sell and trade them to other players is better for the player and i think that's what's going to win long term so i think that you know probably there are people who are going to see this and like flee out of crypto gaming and like it's a it's a high the the token and nft markets are highly speculative and highly volatile and like you got to take the long term view and not not let this sort of stuff uh deter you even if maybe it hurts the value in your coinbase portfolio <laughs>
3: I would, I would agree with what you just said, actually. I'm not going to really argue with you. I think the, the, the real promise of, quote, unquote, you know, token, crypto, whatever, NFT gaming is ownership of assets. But I would say that the people that are actually participating in the market right now are probably reeling. Like anybody that is playing okay, Axie. My Twitter, my
1: Twitter feed's hilarious, right? And, you know. So it's like
3: it's- when you're, when your value goes down 40%, in everything that you own in a week or two week, 10 days. Um, and, and your, your whole reason for playing these games is to invest in, and play to earn or whatever.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the, the price of Bitcoin and the value of the, of, you know, chumby token that you're staking are not, they're like loosely correlated, but they're not tied together.
3: No, so no like, they are though, they're, but they're totally they correlated. Co- what are you talking about? No, yeah, but they're they're down, not, not just these two, these are, these are the bellwethers, right? I, I know the
1: whole market kind of moves together, but like Bitcoin has nothing to do with playing a crypto game.
3: Well, no, right? but that's, yeah, no, that's, that's, that, that's no. true. Enough. No, I'll disagree with that. I, I, longer term, I, I, I agreed with what you said, <laughs> but not that, that is not true. <laughs> like if you well, if if you're part of this ecosystem yeah. and you're down forty percent across the board, no, it affects everybody yeah, right? no
1: I, I I understand that. I think um uh, what more regardless of the day to day price of Bitcoin, more people are interacting with crypto, more people are have wallets, more people are playing crypto games, and I think this trend is just gonna continue and and I, I don't, and people I don't who are in it proof of that
3: right. <laughs> honestly. I mean, how many people get out of crypto games because their their mm. their assets are down forty percent, right? I mean, we'll see. Well, no. So, but
2: I think yeah. the issue. So, so first of all, I mean, like it's just it's just demonstrably true that they are absolutely correlated. the the the, 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 the question is the the fundamental use case does that really change? No. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fundamental use case for the, the the enjoyment of the game or the additional layer of engagement or whatever yeah. that's the same. The problem with a lot of these tokens is, first of all, they launch the token before the games even. Represented yep. by any code on a, in a, in a, in a, of token way ahead, like when they have a paper prototype. And it's just speculatively gambled on, right? And that's, 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 that whole market is, is just people yeah. gambling on these tokens before a game is, is even, you know, anywhere on the horizon. And the other, the other problem is, um, you know, the, the the thing is like what, what we're seeing here is that there was a sense that, you know, Bitcoin and all these other, the, the mainstream like, L- would be uh like a a hedge uh and and what we've seen is like no they were like the sort of enthusiasm was probably totally driven just by the zero interest rate environment uh that we've had for the last you know since basically 2008 and and when you have zero interest rates there's nowhere to park your money that's safe and so there you know you 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 put you push you push along the the yield curve to try to grab yield wherever you can and and now what we're seeing is like well this is this is correlated with the broader mainstream economy because as People are afraid of interest rate hikes at you know, which announced well, which are going to be announced today in a few hours, um, then then they, they don't need to hunt on this like extreme end of the yield curve. They can right. sort of pull back and, and look for look at safer assets, right? And so that, that extreme level of correlation is not what was pitched by the crypto people. This is a new economy, this is untethered from all right. the things that are happening. This this is a new type of yeah, economics that right. right and it and mean, actually right. was it was more of a religion and, and i think that religion is this sort of the there's 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 there's, a, there's cracks in the uh in the veneer now but but yeah, yeah i mean the, the the problem with the game stuff is just like it was just this 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 speculative frenzy on stuff that like the, some of these games are never going to hit the market i mean like almost yeah. I, I would say a huge chunk of these games are just rug pulls where people are launching tokens they've got a nice powerpoint and then they've got a white paper um and then they never expected to have to deliver a game and and the, the speculators were fine with that because the, the market's growing and there's so much enthusiasm for crypto and we're just going to sell my my stake to somebody yeah. else well now that's not possible and there's a lot of people holding these bags
1: yeah. yeah yeah i i think there's there's a lot of volatility in the market now it's a highly volatile market and if you're speculating on tokens and nfts and you think they're as safe as stocks or uncorrelated to stocks you're just making bad choices um, but yeah, I, am just rehashing the same point. Like I believe the technology is in the process of changing, uh, gaming, game development, free to play game development over the next 10, 10, 15 years. And I'm not, I personally am not going to let short-term volatility deter me. It would be like when the stock market crashed, it didn't mean that the idea of stock ownership was a bad idea and you should abandon public companies. Right. So that's my um, very stupid metaphor. <laughs> can I, can I, look,
2: yeah. can I, I want to ask a related question because I, I, yeah. I, I'm just curious sure. about this. So how is this impacting the Axie economy? Because I know I, that like uh, SLP is way down, right? I, and, and the whole idea of Axie is like, well, you've got, you've you basically have like an entry fee to even get into the game. And so you stake you essentially, yeah. um, or I don't know if I, I should use that word because me. it means something different in, in crypto land. But you, you yeah. basically get, get someone to front you the money and then you work to pay them back. Right? How does that how does that change in this environment where SLP yeah. is down? Is well, SLP an the... in-game token? Is it?
1: There there are two tokens, is. AXS and SLP. Both are down. Both were down before this market correction. So like Axie Infinity, as as a game designer, their game economy is very poorly constructed. It was actually constructed to burst, in my opinion, and they need to add additional features to the game. Uh, to bring utility to those two tokens um, and to either, you know, like they're trying to do stuff around removing Axies uh, from play uh, right now, but like there's, Axie is not currently a sustainable um, game economy. And so I don't personally, I don't really hold it up as as an example of something um, that should be emulated. It's hugely successful, but I think it, you know, it, it feels to me almost like Early Facebook Canvas games that popped as soon as, um you know, sharing on on the on the newsfeed disappeared. No, right? but that's like,
2: that's fine. But but you you may not you may not associate Axie with like you know sustainable successful crypto gaming. But anyone who plays crypto games does, right? I'm but I'm I'm curious. I'm curious about and that's a problem, right? That's a problem because if that if the game implodes, then that's going to be the association. Cool. Right. Well, and that's, that's going to be it's, problematic. It's,
1: but the thing is, so when I started playing Axie, I, I spent $1,600 to get four. And well before this current week of, of tokens going down, my NFTs were worth maybe a quarter of what they were worth. So I haven't looked at them this week. I, I haven't looked at, you know, I can look at the chart of what AXS is. Could I, but, can I, can <laughs> I just stop yeah, you there? Yeah.
2: So you, you're, you lost, let's say, 1400 bucks. On research
1: actually. costs, research costs. I mean, right now I, I've lost 1400 on paper. I don't, I don't realize those losses until I get rid of my axes. But it's, I mean, oh, I went into sell, it. Right? I didn't go into it as an investment of money. I went into it in investment in knowledge.
2: Okay. That's, okay. But, but, but can I, I just want to revisit the question yeah. though, because like, I yeah. how is that, how is that affecting like the sort of community right now? So like if I joined, so if I joined Axie this week, I'd, I'd have... To, I'd have to pay much less to basically start playing the game than someone who joined yeah. two months ago and someone who joined two months right. before that would have had paid more. So what, how is that impacting that kind of, what, what do they call it? Like a sponsorship program?
1: The scholarship program. Scholarship so, program. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not, I, I haven't been uh, monitoring the Yield Guild, um, uh, discord, right? It's just like one of a hundred discords uh, I'm in. Well, as, yeah,
3: the, uh, as the poster child of, of crypto gaming, um, the Axie thing is pretty freaking scary.
2: Yeah. Well, I just I want to – because if I'm in the game and I've been a, a scholarship yeah. uh, bestower previously, yeah. right now, I wouldn't do it. Cause mm-hmm. the va- I wouldn't give out scholarships because the value of my NFTs is low. If I expect it to go back Let's, up, I want to so hang on to mine.
1: I don't think you understand. So the, the, if you if – you, uh, the way the scholarship works, I own the NFTs. Like I should be renting out my Axies right now. Because the way it works is you let someone log into your account and play with your axes, and then you split the tokens that they earn between the two of you. So regardless of what the token price is, I, by being lazy and not having a Scholar, my assets are sitting on the shelf not earning their yield of SLP. So if I found someone to play every day with my axes, then I would be making some SLP regardless of the price. But because the, they're not being used, I'm making nothing. And so um, since I already own the axes, if I was maximizing their value, I would have them uh, rented out as a scholarship right now.
2: I see, okay. So yeah, I didn't, I the, don't, the problem, I'm not familiar with the...
1: Yeah, then, then the problem is... Um, Because the price of Axies is going down, the price of AXS is going down, and the price of SLP is going down, if I were someone who wanted to make money as a scholar, I would not be looking at Axie Infinity right now to be a scholar in. I would try and find a different game with better economics than Axie has at this present moment. Uh, You know, Axie has a lot of money and a lot of momentum, and so they probably... Uh, you know they can add and grow their game over, add to and grow their game over time, and maybe they'll change the game in a way that the AXS price and AXE price goes up over time, um, and that's kind of what my next next news story is about. But, um,
2: but just just like okay, just, just to just to fully understand here, yeah. So so then then they're in the death spiral right because like the whole the whole yeah here so is you got more people coming in all the time the NFTs worth more money over time and, and slp goes up over time wow
1: well the, the the problem so when i say it's a poorly designed economy that was doomed to collapse the only purpose of playing the game right now is to earn tokens to breed axes to sell those axes so both yeah. axs and slp are used for breeding so right. as people come into the people on the buy end of AXS and SLP, they're buying it to breed Axies, to sell Axies. So right. the more people that are in the market, the, high, the bigger the supply of Axies is, and also the bigger the supply of SLP is, because it's an inflationary token. The more people that are playing it, the more is generated per day. So like the game was set up to Burst. Because the more popular it gets, the more people playing it, the only thing they can do is increase the supply of, of Axes and increase the supply of SLP. And so like there was a natural tipping point. Um so if I was a scot, like I said, if I was a scholar, I wouldn't be playing Axie. If I I would not buy Axes right now, um, you know, this is just me, my, my personal viewpoint, but like the the potential earn rate of playing Axie right now isn't very high and i don't find the game that fun there are other games that yeah. i think that are more fun to play all right let's
3: let's move on we don't make this yeah. a <laughs> podcast let me can i just say can I, let me i just yeah. want to point out one thing
2: because I'm, I'm looking at the the um, price chart right now and in yeah. three months the price is by 98
1: yeah i that's that's what i was saying the price was going down way before last week
2: no, sorry, it, it's not. It's it's down less than that, but in th- in the three month time frame, but it's it, from peak within the last three months is down like ninety eight percent
1: of of want? SLP. SLP, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what I was saying. Like the regardless of this current article of a trillion dollars being wiped off tokens, Axie was already right in a yeah. in a downward trend on all its prices. Okay.
0: Sorry for interrupting this podcast, but. I got an important message. It's about increasing your game's revenues. I bet your mobile games is ready to find new, untapped audience and a juicy 40% revenue boost. Well, you can achieve global reach and acquire new players with local payment methods and exclusive content and with huge savings on platform fees. After recent events allowing developers to sell virtual items and currencies directly to players with a substantial savings on transaction fees, Exola launched Web shop for mobile games. This timely solution helps you unlock global potential and grow your mobile games beyond the App Store and unite your player community across all devices. Plus, it can also improve discoverability and boost player retention. If you're ready to increase revenue, save on fees and ing- regain control over distribution exola webshop for mobile games can help you succeed visit exola.pro/dof or go to the link in this podcast description now back to the episode okay folks let's take a little break from the conversation talk about your post idfa cross platform strategy more specifically, how you're going to monetize that sweet console and PC audience of yours. Well, here's where Player One comes to the picture providing a huge revenue opportunity for developers and publishers. In fact, it's the only engagement and monetization platform designed to reward free-to-play console and PC gamers. Now I know what you're thinking. Players don't want to watch ads on console and PC. Well, that's actually not true. According to extensive surveys with players who are playing the most popular AAA free-to-play games, player 1 found an overwhelming desire, 77% to be accurate, by gamers to have an option to earn free in-game content in exchange for watching 15 to 30 second advertisements. Now the second thing you're thinking about is that you don't want to show other games to your console and PC players. Well, player 1 got you covered once again. Firstly, the platform lets gamers decide if they want to watch TV quality brand sponsored videos inside their favorite titles in exchange for cool in-game items and awesome content. Secondly, as I said, Player One's inventory is purely of TV quality brand sponsored videos. So you won't have to worry about churn, or build segmentation profiles. Plus, given the fact that the majority of free to play players on PC and console never actually spend any money in the live service area of those games, Player One is providing a way for developers and publishers alike to help their loyal players to get access to all the additional content that's being created while maintaining their game's economies. Player One is fully optional for players and completely respectful of game flow. And for developers, Player One has been proven to drive retention, lifetime value, and additional revenue, all while maintaining monthly active users and reducing churn. Everybody wins with Player One. Gamers unlock immediate rewards, developers enhance the playing experience and generate passive revenue, and brands connect meaningfully with the most passionate audience and media. Visit playerwon.com to see how it works in practice or get go to the link in this podcast description below. Now, back to the episode.
1: Okay, um, moving on. Se- great segue into Axie Infinity Builders program. So one of the many things they're trying to do to turn the game economy around is to get people building additional experiences that use Axies, AXS, and SLP. They announced an initial experiment with a 400K in value uh, grants available total and they're giving out grants of a minimum size of 5k so i think this is very cool and it's way too small it's cool and it points to what's possible in the future because you can allow other people to build experiences that use your game assets and that's pretty cool um i just don't think the pool like i for five thousand dollars can i even get one piece of key art made like me and other professional developers are not going to be building DApps on top of the Ronin wallet for like a 10 K grant. Um, so I think it's an interesting experiment, but if they want it to be part of turning Axie around, it, it has to be a much larger grant program, especially considering how much value of AXS they're sitting on, even at the reduced prices. Um, I'll do one last piece of news. I'll try and do it really quick. So, uh this is from Kotaku. raven's new organizational change conveniently breaks up union members um this is a terrible take in my opinion um so i started in qa i've i spent two years doing like qa and low-level production tasks and i've been on the hiring end of turning qa people into other specialties and like Um, when I read what the, what the studio is doing, they're turning temporary people into full-time people and they are taking QA people out of the smelly room. Like I spent a year in the smelly room where nobody on the dev team knew who I was. And when the project, when we were between Star Wars Battlefront one and two, I got laid off. Like my experience has been having embedded QA people. They develop relationships. They develop expertise. I know an uh, executive producer at Scopely who was an embedded QA person on Dragon Age Legends 12 or 13 years ago. On Legendary, an embedded QA person became the designer who's making and owning skills. On Tetris, an embedded QA person became a product manager. I actually, me and Christian had to spend months like convincing your mom like, you are great, we want to train you to be a product manager. And he finally, like, relented. Um, so... I think the studio, you know, is actually, regardless of what they're trying to do about, like, the union, um, they are taking action to make lives better for QA people. And I think framing this as bad for QA is just a a bad take. Um,
3: Kotaku doesn't know what they're doing. Just stop. Just stop reading (laughs) this. Anybody who still listens to Kotaku, just...
1: I mean Wall, really? Wall Street Journal had the same bad take as did Polygon. Oh, really? They're like they're putting them in different rooms. They won't be able to organize. Like do these people not have cell phones? Is not uh-huh. going if if not being in the same room is what prevents them from unionizing, then I I guess they didn't have the motivation, right? Like they, don't have, they, don't have, they slack. have cell phones. They have Telegram, they have Discord. They they being in different rooms during the workplace hours should not prevent them from unionizing. Yeah. And as I said, I think uh, from the outside, this seems like a good faith effort, along with turning temporary people into full time people to make lives better for for their QA folks. So,
2: have you seen Mythic Quest that, that show?
1: Yes, yes, yeah. awesome. uh, you know I what? love it. It was funny. You
2: know what I thought they got absolutely perfectly correct was a like the just the layout and design of game dev offices with like those cardboard mm-hmm. cutout, you know, uh, uh, of of in game characters all around the office, and then the QA room. Just like this dark, kind of like nasty, like it's 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 like the furniture's been there for like and like it's just never been cleaned.
1: (laughs) I I, was I I, I had a really bad QA experience. I was in the QA room, I got repetitive stress injury in both my arms and herniated disc in my back from stress. Like it took me years to get over those injuries. So I'm very sympathetic with the QA people here. I just uh yeah, I don't know. Dude, tell
2: tell people you got the herniated disc playing sports. Don't
3: tell them
1: <laughs> I wish. <laughs> For yeah. This is, is self imposed
3: Anyways, this dovetails with my first update, actually, okay. with this whole Activision deal. Just to, just to clarify a few things and then talk about something that's really bugging me um, the last couple weeks. First, the expectations on Call of Duty being exclusive. I got a lot of pushback from actually people from Activision that this was never going to happen. PlayStation would continue to be a Call of Duty platform. Blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. Okay, so I think Bloomberg, uh, Schreiber, Schreiber, whatever his name is, he basically is saying exactly what I wanted to say. What will happen? The next one or two Call of Duties will be on PlayStation platforms, and Warzone will continue to be on PlayStation platforms. But 2013, sorry, 2024, that game is going to be exclusive on Xbox, and no matter that is what's going to happen. So. Sorry, Sony, you're not, you know, you fanboys, you're not getting Call of Duty in perpetuity, right? Period. End of sentence, right? There's no sense in this, okay? So I want to be clear on that. I think that's become the consensus anyway, but some people are still kind of feeling that, like, Microsoft will be idiotic to take it off the platform because it costs so much, could make so much money, but that's all nonsense. Um, uh, The other thing, this thing is that's bugging me the most is that... uh, for some reason, Phil Spencer evidently is a really good guy because everyone seems to love him, right? And I think Microsoft Game Pass is like, uh, you know, endeared the the enthusiasts to them and for good reason. I mean, it's a great deal. deal. it's It's a great, great, great idea, you know, and they're executing really well against it. But, but no one's really talking about the bad part of this potential acquisition, right? Like, you know, it's like Phil and Microsoft in general like the lion in the serengeti right and they see this wounded animal this gazelle (laughs) this beautiful gazelle and they pounce on it right and and you're the
1: only only person calling a beautiful gazelle
3: because that (laughs) is the opportunistic capitalists that they are you know this is not like some you know like benevolent person a team trying to like save Activision's, you know, and Blizzard's culture, this is all bullshit, right? They, they've been looking at doing these deals for years, and, and they did the Bethesda deal for an insane amount of money, and now they built Activision. This is 101, sorry, 100% capitalism at work right now. And, and and they're getting a complete pass on this kind of predatory behavior, you know? Activision was on its ass, and they came in and basically bought it for a very reasonable price, uh, for for reasons that that are anyway that because these this team was weakened right. The second thing what? is that it's like How, the cultural so, issues. Can we, are
2: comp- can we let's let's hover there? It's this is not predatory. No. Predi- why is it predatory? This Isn't a negative thing. It, it is, why is it a good thing. It's ca- It's no. It's capitalism functioning as as it was designed to function.
3: What? Right? No, I understand. No, I'm saying that. But 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 Microsoft is just getting a pass on this. Like like like. It's but like I don't a normal course of business thing. Well, let me, let me finish. Well, let well, me it, finish. Is, it is so, though. All right, all right, all right. No, no. Because what's going to happen is that all these cultural issues that are happening in Activision Blizzard are, are basically erased day one. Like, no one cares anymore about this. Like, like it's going to be part of the bigger Borg, and so no one's going to really pay attention to all these things. No one's going to get punished. Like, it's just going to be kind of glossed over, right? And this is part of the strategy. When you, when you do these decks... I've been trying to explain this for a while, and I, I, for some reason I can't really articulate it well, but when you do these decks, like all these things are contemplated. It's like, look, all these issues that Activision and Blizzard are happening in, in the thing will, will not be p- part of the discussion anymore because everyone's going to be talking about the combination and what it means for the industry and stuff like that, and that's kind of what's happening. You're not talking about the fact that like all these things still exist within Blizzard and Activision, but yet, you know, and and the press releases will just continue to, like, kind of reinforce that point, you know, they're going to throw in some HR people, they're going to throw in some policies and procedures to help kind of like move, you know, move people around and stuff, but this doesn't solve all the issues in day one, and then obviously no one gets punished, and the biggest thing is that Bobby is gets off scot-free, absolutely scot-free. There may be some other lawsuits that probably will get pushed out, but dude, the guy gets a jail, get out of jail free card and gets 400 million for the privilege, right? Just like, like that, right? And so that's That's not cool, right? I mean, mean, Bobby should get punished in some way, right? And finally, the the biggest thing that I'm trying to articulate, and it's very, really hard, and it's hard to know where this ends up going, is that consolidation in the industry is not always great, right? Like, the more power and fewer players is never really good in an industry because they do things what's best for them, not necessarily what's best for the consumer, right? I don't know what the prospect here is and how this will evolve over time, but the... The prospects of devaluing content is, is still a big problem here. When you're getting so much content for such a little price, what does that mean for all the other competitors? And so for example, if you have a subscription to Microsoft service and you get Call of Duty for free every year, why would you ever buy Battlefield? Why would you ever buy Ghost Recon? Maybe why would you buy Far Cry ultimately? Like what's your incentive when you get this for free to buy other things and spend another $70 on something else? I get a little bit worried about this, and it's and in some sense, it's, I think video games are a little bit different than TV, um, and, and you know, like Netflix and stuff, where it is kind of a zero-sum game in terms of time people are playing, et cetera. So, and this could have long-term ramifications, and the people I talk to that are kind of relatively familiar with the subscription type thing believe that there could become perverse, um, uh, sorry, um, motivations of the developer will be become perverse to support the subscription versus supporting the creative, right? And so I don't know exactly how that that, manifests itself. how's that different
1: than any... I mean, like, I'm the business model game designer, so I feel like all game design happens in reference to the business incentives, right? Like No,
3: absolutely. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily good for the gamer. And I guess my whole point is that the gaming community seems to be completely ignoring this. Some people are talking about it on the periphery, but like, you know, Kotaku, IGN, you know,
1: what, Bomb, what, all the guys what,
3: that have been covered.
1: What becomes the, you know, the, the motivation for, let's let's pretend that uh, if you're at Sledgehammer, your incentive structure is now based around how many weekly active users are on Call of Duty. And right. the, the higher you keep that, the more your monthly bonus or annual bonuses, right? So what are your incentives? Be great to your community have world-class live ops, listen to people, don't lose them to other competitive games, right? You're no longer nickel and diming them with microtransactions. Like, you have to become community-focused to the nth degree, if that's what the the structure becomes, so that you keep as many people in your mousetrap and out of someone else's mousetrap as possible. So, like, that all sounds good to the player for me, right? Sounds good to me.
2: Well, yeah. Like I I, I I don't know I I think the the, the, the subscription true. model is is so overwhelmingly pro consumer right because like you, you get to just determine what con- what content you want to interact with after like giving it a try like I, I spent uh, sixty bucks in the latest Call of Duty it sucked. Like I, I wish I could have that money back, right? Like, but, but why yeah. why couldn't I just, I, you know, that's that's that, that was that's always been my sort of uh, thesis with the free to play model. That's why it's so pro consumer, because you get to just decide, and and then developers have to work for it. It's not just a function of the power of my marketing campaign that wins me revenue. It's the it's the it's the compelling effect of my content, right? And then that's that's exactly, exactly. what uh, what Game Pass allows for. I would say, you know, maybe maybe even make it totally free to play and, and ramp up the the microtransactions, but that, that'll never happen on console. I think like that's that's the sort of like logical, logical conclusion, conclusion of that line of thought, right? Like I don't see I don't I see, see an into con- subscription package because you get to well the, with the content that is my taste and that is, is the is the best uh, uh my engagement and that's how the the, the is reported. not, not
3: again like I just marketing I, campaign I, I would I would argue that it's 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 going to be much more a tougher sell to that customer to buy other things right? Yeah, so I, it, it basically eliminates the independent development of I, games I, that compete against the subscription. Why the, would you buy an RPG outside of what, you know, Elder Scrolls and... and, and- well,
1: I I mean, just personally, like, I, I've tried over and over to love Skyrim, and I love Dragon Age, and I love Persona, and I'm going to keep buying Dragon Age and Persona and indie RPGs and I mean, I think for yeah, for yeah, a consumer yeah, I, like I, me who's not into multiplayer, the subscriptionification of things is going to reduce the uh, number and production value and budget of single player experiences, which is what I love. And you know, may I'll probably stop getting as many of those on console over time, and hopefully single a Indies, you mm-hmm. know, pick up the slack, and people like me spend enough money buying those games to to make it worthwhile.
3: I I, I think, again, I think there's just a risk of devaluing content and making it harder. I agree. I mean, I agree with that. Make creative shit. Right. And you're just going to be stuck with the same game coming out from the subscription service over and over again, call of duty over and over again. There's going to be, you know, and then you're going to buy sports. Right, that's why EA is probably safe because you're basically gonna get the subscription and buy sports games.
1: Well, I <laughs> will never stop buying Ratchet and Clank. So just keep, Sony, just make as many Ratchet and Clanks and, and Spider-Man games as you can, and I'll I'll charge a hundred dollars. I'll keep buying them. I love. Well, I them. think
2: you know, the, the <laughs> But the, the, I feel like the, the sort of market response is that there's a big enough niche for those indie games. There'll be an indie game subscription yeah. service, and it's probably like desktop. Um, and not, it's obviously not gonna be console, but like, I think that if there's a, if there's a, a market to be, you know, uh, uh, to to be, then, then that'll happen. Like I, I, Mike, what I wouldn't want to do, go ahead. Sorry. Well, that outcome is if, you know, the indie dev kind of mentality and that, that sort of enthusiasm ended up, you know, dominant, you know, determining the business models of you know, for that that of the games that the vast majority of gamers interact with, right? It, sh- it shouldn't be that way. It should be the other way around. If enough of a if enough demand man. for these indie games, these single player indie games, then there'll be a service
3: that offers that. Right, and so that was one of the pushbacks. The guy at New zoo I talked to, who's young but really smart. What the hell is his name? Before I, oh, Reese Elliot. Um, Longer term, what we should see is that basically these boxes become like a Roku in which you have just access to different subscription services <laughs> across different things. You have an indie subscription, you have an EA subscription, you have a Ubisoft subscription, and then you have Microsoft Game Pass. That, that's potential, but again, it's, it's a little bit scary. Maybe it's because I'm very old school in, in my thinking, but in terms of how places like Ubisoft, Capcom, Konami, All these other you know last the last remaining independent developers can compete in a space in which you're just giving away content at such a low value um it gets a little bit scary as to what what how and this will evolve and historically whenever big m a happens in the space these pundits are super aggressively you know worried about um i wouldn't say like Anyway, they're they're very critical of these type of transactions, right? Particularly like when Bethesda was acquired, they were like losing their minds, you know, back then, right? But for some reason, this one just is does not is not getting that kind of scrutiny the way it has in the past. It's like because Microsoft is, you know, so beloved, I suppose, at this stage. Um, anyway, we're seen as like benign, right? They're almost seen as like this
2: this bland, you yep. know, sort of big tech co like a. Gen- mega techo, without like any sort of they don't have they don't have the same kind of uh there's not the, the the um that that hard edge that like facebook has for instance like oh my god facebook bought a company they're gonna turn it evil you know what I mean? You don't, you don't get, there's not, there's not that kind of association,
1: but one thing, I, I mean, I, You know. isn't this all cyclical? Like, aren't like, we've seen like this consolidation. What's going to, isn't what's going to happen is many people are like, the tools are better and cheaper than ever. And there's more distribution than ever. So people are going to leave Activision and they're going to believe Blizzard and they're going to make, indie games and form you know single double triple a indie studios that become the next things that get bought 10 years from now and like microsoft will screw up some of the studios the way that they've screwed up pat like lionhead doesn't exist anymore rare is not what it used to be like the track record in and if you look at ea's consolidations like what happened to criterion game like the history of consolidation and then shedding people is it's it's kind of a cycle at this point. And the question is whether subscription model makes the consolidation a permanent feature. That's just the latest round of it.
3: Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. The last quick thing is that, uh, Caban <laughs> shuts down realm of champions, which, <laughs> and, and also changes the leadership of the top. Now, I, obviously I worked at Caban with Tim and Tim Fields, who's been there for almost eight years, um, has been, he's moving on and they have a new guy named, Suong Lee, who I, I don't know, but he's evidently been at Netmarble for a long time. But uh, that's a huge change in the guard because, you know, they've been running Marvel Concerts of Champions. They've been throwing uh, their bodies at, at t- tons of different games, including um, this. Uh, well, what is the game called? Now I'm blanking on it. I...
1: Realm of Champions, the MOBA oh, thing. Realm
3: of Champions, yeah. which, you know what, is a MOBA <laughs> with yeah. Marvel. And so the moral of the story is... Don't make MOBAs. Stop. Okay? Stop making MOBAs. <laughs> this is what happens. This is the direct result of trying to make a MOBA for the Western market, even with a Marvel IP. So don't do it. Alright? Yeah. Everyone, I'm, I just, it's like always a public service method. It's a public yeah. service. Oh my god, I am losing it. Anyway, uh, yeah, stop making MOBAs, please. Alright, uh,
2: what's next? I'm gonna skip mine, because we're short on time. And I was kind of, uh, it was a lazy. Lazy punt anyway.
1: Okay. Should we talk about Decentraland and in, in the metaverse?
2: Uh, it's either that or, uh, respawn making three new Star Wars games. What do you guys want?
3: Should we flip a coin? I let's just do respawn. Okay, it's easier, right? That's, yeah, I know it's you. I here. will
1: probably talk about Decentraland on the next episode of the Tokenomics podcast. Look out for it in we the spent... Deconstructor Fun Podcast feed. <laughs> no, no, just give us clip the quick... Today.
2: Uh, just give us the quick... Fine, do, do, give, give us the, the, the <laughs> cliff notes.
1: Okay, cliff notes. Eric, you do uh, 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 seed and angel investing, right? Like, yes. um, imagine I came to you and I said, I have an online metaverse. Uh, it has its biggest experience in it, Has averages about 500 concurrent users, it has throughout the day around three to five thousand concurrent users total. Um and I would like to raise from you two million dollars at a four trillion dollar valuation. What what would you think of that?
2: I'd say we don't validate parkings. you got to pay for it no. on your way out.
1: <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it sounds insane. Um Decentraland, you know, is a metaverse. It has a token called mana. And that token's market cap this morning was $4 trillion. And I, you know, I I looked at Decentraland because Kotaku wrote this article that I actually mostly agree with where it was saying, hey, this metaverse rave looks boring and dead and horrible. And, you know, I kind of, my experiences with Decentraland is it's kind of like the Friendster of, um, of, of uh, metaverses. Like, I don't think, I think it shows us what the future could be, but it not, is not itself the future. But its token that you use to buy land and cosmetics it has a has a market cap of four trillion dollars, right? Uh, compare that to Roblox, a public company with a market cap of forty billion dollars, and uh, I I think the three of us should start a hedge fund and, and figure out how to short um, mana because where, just, very just, few how, people play you, this game.
3: How how can it be four trillion, dude?
1: That's it's the circulating supply times the current trading price. The current oh, trading price is two bucks. Uh, sorry, uh, Seifert, you cut out for me. I don't know. So,
3: oh, he's disabling his camera. He's like he must be in uh, Finland or something. I'm gonna go through with this respawn thing really quickly because it's not that interesting of a story. But I, I do, uh, they did announce recently that Respawn is working on three different Star Wars games. Um, one is the Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, um, sequel uh but also a new first person shooter and then also another star wars uh a strategy game um based on star wars as well uh stig Musin who's from god of War, is working on the next and did the the original fallen order game is working on the next jedi game which hype. which i think was beloved and was yeah, an amazing hype game. for that
1: I love, I love God of yeah. War. I love Fallen Order. Hype for that And game. then
3: there's a first-person shooter being Peter Hirschman, who is a former Lucas guy who worked on Battlefront as well as uh, uh, Force Unleashed. Um, and the third is a strategy game from Bit Reactor, which is former XCOM guys uh, who left the studio recently. Um, and the good news, I think the best news about this, is Vince Pella is basically overseeing all these uh, games and the relationships with lucas and and obviously disney um but it's not only ea that's building all kinds of star wars games though ubisoft has a massive game uh that that is basically based on division that's going to be star wars themed quantic dream is announcing star wars eclipse which i think is very similar to jedi fallen order it's like an action-adventure star wars game and
1: then obviously well the Zink quantic dream make- makes narrative games so isn't it just going to be a playable movie right like yeah but, but sex to like- use the Force.
3: I know, but don't you think Jedi Fallen Order is, that? I mean, the one of the people love about Jedi Fallen Order is the story, right? Even though the, the gameplay is really good, yeah. too, but the story is it was an amazing canon, right?
1: Yeah, but the, I mean, the, the moment-to-moment gameplay of, of Fallen Order is in a different league than uh, Detroit, you know.
3: Okay, heat. I see what you're saying, I see. Um, and then obviously zing is working on what's going to be a big failure as a star wars hunter <laughs>
1: um, it's star wars and a moba it's all your favorite things dude
3: i mean dude you can't you can't yeah it doesn't get any better than that um so on the surface this seems great right uh you know jedi fallen order is amazing and i think getting a sequel is awesome a new shooter that's not battlefront that's not coming out of dice might make a lot of sense um and a strategy game which seems a bit old school these days uh, could be good, but it could be interesting to see how they modernize it and make it more contemporary. Um, but there's a few things that were not mentioned <laughs> that must be mentioned. One is that DICE is being take, clearly being taken off Star Wars, right? And so mm-hmm. their focus is going to be on Battlefield, which is a good and a bad thing, right? If you like Battlefront, I don't think we're going to see that game ever again, most likely. Um, and they will focus on Battlefield and making it a very competitor to Call of Duty, particularly now that there's going to be no shooters on PlayStation very soon. Um, And then, uh, and clearly the Star Wars license is becoming much broader, right? The exclusive deal with, with EA is basically over, even though they haven't really officially announced that it's over, but it seems to be over since they're putting it out there. But the big thing is like, why are they announcing this stuff now? And as Mm -hmm. a conspiracy theorist myself for these PR beats, this seems very out of the blue. There's no major event. There's no game that's actually on the horizon, right? They didn't mention that a game is coming this year, which would be makes it more sense to have this. Um, and I, I, what I think is they basically are doing look over here type PR, where they're about ready to print a horrific quarter <laughs> and probably a, a poor outlook. And so they're basically trying to like, reinforce what their pipeline is and this is again another way of announcing something positive before potential negatives so that uh so that they that people focus more on the long term rather than the short-term issues that they maybe so you think
1: this is a smoke grenade before they announce how under expectations 2042 performed this christmas season basically yes
3: that's what i think this is a pr strategy um but i i could be wrong but probably not but we'll see i mean we're going to see in the next couple of weeks when they announce earnings um, and, 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 we'll see, cause again, as we said the last time, everyone had a terrible, terrible holiday. Another thing that's not being really covered, like this holiday was brutal. I mean, it was absolutely horrific. Like software was down, hardware was, was down because they didn't have any hardware availability, um, over holiday. And the overall software market was down, like, I think like 15% in North America for the year. Right. Um, and, and similarly, I think in the UK. Um, but, uh, but none of that's really getting talked about and it's primarily related to hardware issues um and 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 a weaker uh, nintendo year as well but um i think actually nintendo software was up but anyway we will we will um we will see how this manifests itself uh over the next earnings season but i do i am longer term more bullish on ea so uh
2: all right let's uh with that we can wrap it up thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time